Azi mi woro chichi, opiesu ma rusi. Good morning, I greet you all in the name of Jesus Christ. Mapi ma okube ni ai kosi tu, adusu kuma macho o fikanisa mibe andrusi. My wife and I are so excited to be here with you this morning. So wiki ri, wiki rivutia mata uesia nga Uganda. Two weeks ago, we arrived here from Uganda. Ama mudole, muzu, Mam vi kubiza azini ne mabakudidia. We came for my sister's wedding and also to see my friend, my family. So ama wari fofa mungudri, emima yosia dusikuni amini munguziria madri. We want to thank you so much for praying for us. That means so much to us. Um, I'm here this morning with my children and my wife. So, my son is Joseph. My daughter is Abby. We've been in Uganda for two years, and we also have a son that was born in Uganda. We've given him two names. His uh, English name is Titus, and his Lugbar name is Mugufeni. So, Thank you so much for praying for us, and we're so happy to be here with you today. Okay. All right. Okay. I did not prepare her for that. We decided we'd just do that. It was not scripted. So <clears throat> many people have asked how the language progress is going, so we thought we should at least greet you all in, in, uh, in the language. So, Well, what a joy to be here. Thank you so much for the warm welcome once again. We've been looking forward to this really for quite some time. And uh, what a joy for being here for your song service. Thank you for your music. Um, that's something we really miss. So um, Lydia and Rachel, thank you for your music. The West Coast Kids, that was a big blessing. And even the hymns, it's really a joy. So thanks for your ministry to us in that way. Uh, it's really a joy to see each one of you. Hopefully in the course of today, we can catch up with everyone. And uh, I genuinely do mean we are grateful for, for your prayers. I know there's quite a number of people that uh, contact us and let us know you're praying for us. It's so meaningful and uh, something that, that we know works. So we appreciate your partnership in ministry in that way. So I wanted to take just a few minutes here this morning before we open the Word of God, before we preach, to give you sort of a, a, a high-level update on, on the ministry in Uganda, and then we'll, we'll go into um, more detail on that in the afternoon. Um, but uh, God is blessed. It's really been a joy. It's been two years, two years from yesterday, we went to Uganda. So uh, it's sort of um, a, a first term. This trip that we're here for right now is a short trip where we were able to come back from my sister's wedding. We are thankful to be able to do this trip. And then this coming Friday, we'll go right back to Uganda. So it's only, only three weeks that we're here in the US this time around. Uh, the focus of these two years have been, I know, I know you guys keep up with our prayer letters, so you probably know most of this. <laughs> but the focus of these two years have been language learning. Um, it's a huge barrier to the gospel in that part of the world. It's just the reality of the situation. And we decided that um, because we hope to be there in a long-term way, to commit a lot of years there, that we should really prioritize learning it. Um, so it's a tonal, tonal language that's been a, a, a big challenge, and we're at a point now where we're able to be conversational. Uh, I have not tried to stand up and preach in Lugbara. Hopefully that's coming. 
but at least in a conversational way and like one-on-one -on -one Bible studies, we're able to use the language. So uh, that's really been really encouraging. People's hearts open up. It's incredible when we speak their language. That's something that's, I feel like, a little bit hard for us Americans to relate to because uh, we view language a little differently. We expect people to speak our language generally. For them, they see it as a real um, humbling thing, I guess, when they see Americans that have come, why did you come all this way to learn our language? Well, there's a reason. So it's a real opportunity. So thanks for praying with us about that. Lindsay and I have worked on that together. Our kids know a little bit as they played with their friends uh, in the village. So in the course of language learning, there's been some really special Bible study relationship opportunities that have been sort of organic, just very natural as we've uh, study the language with various people, individuals, and uh, we'll talk more about that this afternoon. So we are going to, well, I won't say too much about what we're going to do the rest of this year because there's a lot to that, but uh, we'll be updating you and are just really grateful for your prayer support and your partnership with us. It's your ministry. It really is. It's special to see how the body of Christ is totally necessary to see the Great Commission advanced in a new place. Uh, Local churches in the U.S., missionaries going, local partners on the field all working together to get the gospel to places that the other gospel would otherwise not be. So it's uh, thrilling. It's really thrilling to get to be a part of that. And um, we'll stop at that and talk more about that this afternoon. So 1 Thessalonians 1, when we turn there in our Bibles. <clears throat> And we are going to talk about this morning the miracle that happened uh, in Thessalonica. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we open his word uh, this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege it is to worship you. Lord, we've uh, had the special joy to worship you in song by singing hymns together and by hearing your praises sung. Lord, I pray that you would help, help us to praise you and worship you. You are worthy. You are worthy of our praise. Um, I thank you for Fellowship Baptist Church. I thank you for this body of believers that faithfully assembles to lift up your name. I pray that you'd meet with us here this morning and, and bless our, our minds and our hearts as we look into the Word of God. Teach us something. Lord, help us to see your desire for us. Help us to see who you are from your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to look here this morning at an incredible account of a miracle that happened in the city of Thessalonica. This story goes back a little ways, and we'll read about it here in just a moment. This story goes back a little ways. When the New Testament missions team set out on their second mission, missionary journey, okay, so they set out with a real burden for, for Asia. Asia was unreached, mostly untouched with the gospel, and they set out uh, across Asia going from place to place to place looking for the right uh, place to stop and advance the gospel. They ran into closed doors. It was a strange time on the second missionary journey as, as the Spirit forbade them to have ministry in Asia, and eventually they crossed Asia and got to the city of Troas where they spent the night. So the, city of, the story of what happened in Thessalonica really begins that night in Troas. They were in Troas. They were sleeping. There was four of them, Paul, Silas, Luke, and um, Timothy. Paul, Silas, Luke, and Timothy. They were there together in Troas. And, and as they slept, the Macedonian call, the special account that we find in, in Acts 16, when 
uh, Paul had a, had, a, had a dream, a vision of a man praying and begging him, saying, come over into Macedonia. Not Asia, but rather Europe. Come, come this way and help us, was the request from this man in, in his vision. Come over into Macedonia and help us. And that journey, for them, would involve crossing the sea that they didn't expect to cross. But the next morning, they got up, they went that, that direction. When they crossed the sea, they crossed the Aegean Sea, they got to a, the port city of, um, they got to the port city of um, Neapolis. Neapolis was the city right there on the edge of the Aegean Sea. They immediately traveled north about 10 miles to Philippi and had a special work there in Philippi before traveling on to Thessalonica. Now the scope of what happened in Thessalonica was incredible. Let's look at this. First Thessalonians chapter 1. This church has, a, has an amazing testimony. So we'll begin reading in verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul and Silvanus and, Timoth- and Timotheus, under the church of the Th- Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making, a mention, making mention of you in our prayers. Verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. As ye know what manner of man we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So that, verse 7, so that you were in samples, you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. So let's look at the context of what happened here. It's an incredible story that caused, what did it just tell us that caused the gospel to spread across Macedonia? Let's turn our Bibles back now. We're going to look at at the context of the story that this was written in, in Acts 17. Acts 17, if you turn with me there. So where were they coming from? Where was the missions team coming from when they reached Thessalonica? Well, they were coming from Philippi. And Philippi is where Paul and Silas ended up in jail. Uh, they saw the Lord work in that city. It was, it was a good, productive ministry, but they met really incredible resistance. And we find that account, I know we're going to rewind a little bit further back to Acts 16, verse 22. So look at this, Acts 16, 22. The multitude, this was in Philippi, the multitude rose up together against them. And the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. Serious persecution and resistance that Paul and Silas faced here. It's in the context of this story. Remember, they are released from jail and they are released from Philippi and they began to travel to Thessalonica immediately after this. 
It was after that treatment that Paul and Silas reached Thessalonica. That trip from Philippi to Thessalonica would have taken something like five days. Five days of walking with stripes on their back, with some level of, right, like scars or bruises or whatever on their ankles, right, from when they were thrown into prison. Um, bruises from when they are beat. These guys were really beat up. And they reached Thessalonica. In Acts 17, verse 1. So in the context of this, let's look at what happens in Thessalonica. Paul and Silas, having been imprisoned, Acts 17, verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and uh, Apollonia, those are two cities they had to pass through to get to Thessalonica, right? When they passed through these cities, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath, day, three, three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Now remember, from this initial introduction to Thessalonica, a church would be planted that would become known across the country of Greece, right? It would be no, be known, become known across that part of the world as, as just genuine believers, people that would be known for being very loving and God-honoring. Some very high compliments paid to this church. And this is how it begins right here. Two men, Paul and Silas, that had just been beat up in Philippi, show up in this town and, and begin ministry. So it tells us what happened, very specifically what happened. They went to the synagogue. That's what they would do, right? As they went place to place, they would go to the synagogue. And uh, there would have been Jews that have been spread from, from Jerusalem, from Judea, all over the world that would have been in uh, Thessalonica, obviously, based on the fact that there's a synagogue. So they went into the synagogue and, and began to reason with them. Verse 2 of Acts 17, as his manner was, went in unto them three Sabbath days, reason with them out of the scriptures. I love that. What a neat picture of, of outreach, of evangelism. Sits down with people and begins to reason from the Bible, from the scriptures. So where in his Bible did he turn? The Old Testament. That's what he had, right? It wouldn't have been Thessalonica, uh, Thessalonians. He hadn't written that yet. He, it wouldn't have been the Gospels. He, he turned to the Old Testament. And from the Old Testament, sat with these people and showed them, in verse 3, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. So goes in the synagogue, sits with people that are not believers, and reasons with them and shows them from the Old Testament that Jesus Christ had to come, like seeking to persuade them and, and demonstrate for them, as, as we're told here in verse 3, opening and alleging that Christ had to come and suffer. These things that he's telling them, these things that you've heard from Judea, that have that you're hearing from Jerusalem about Jesus Christ being hung on a cross and dying and, and, and rising again three days later, here is why it had to happen. So it, it's interesting to, to think about what exactly that looked like. No doubt he talked about the fall, right? Um, Adam and Eve sinned against God. The human race became cursed by sin. And God set a redemptive plan in motion to redeem man back to himself. He may have turned to Isaiah 53, where it talks about, talks about this, the coming sacrifice. But regardless, we know Paul was looking at 
at the, at the Old Testament, and reasoning with them, seeking to persuade them. What, a, what an amazing picture of, of evangelism here in Thessalonica. And he, showed, and he sought to show them, um, the second half of verse 3, and that this Jesus, whom I preach you, unto you, excuse me, is Christ. What does that mean? Well, he's saying this Jesus who I preach to you is the anointed one. He is the uh, answer for us, the answer for our sins. He is our Savior. And we see the response. It's told us very in a very summarized way what happens here. After three Sabbath days, after three weeks of this persuading, verse 4, and some of them believed and consorted, in other words, were persuaded. Some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, uh, not a few. So we're told with some detail that the people that were saved, the people that were persuaded of Jesus were Greeks, so they're actually not, not all Jews. There were some Greeks, they were Gentiles. Chief women, okay, so some women there in the city that may have been married to, to uh, high up people or something, chief, chief women there in the city, were not a few. So this was a good um, coming out and a, and a good group, uh, group of believers uh, that was formed. Now verse 5, look what happens. But the Jews which believed not uh, moved with envy. This is starting to get to be an old story, right? When the Jews just resist the advance of the gospel. Seems to happen every time, every place they go, but it happens again here. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of a baser sort. Love that. You can imagine what these lewd fellows of a baser sort look like. And gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. So, Paul and Silas' ministry quickly ended in Thessalonica. We don't really know exactly how long they were there in Thessalonica. Some students of the Bible believe it had to have been more time than just those three weeks. But regardless, it ended as the resistance to the gospel was brought on by these Jews. But the extent to which the gospel advance here in those few verses reached is incredible. What we just read in 1 Thessalonians, let's go ahead and turn back here. I promise we won't flip back and forth too many times. But in what we just read in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 1, told us in verse 7, 1 Thessalonians 1, 7, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Like, I don't think it's a hyperbole or an exaggeration or something. These people were like an example church. For from you, verse 8, sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. So this was sometime after when Paul wrote this. Paul continued traveling to the, um, to the, to the west, right? Across Greece and reached... To, um, to Athens. We reached to Berea and had ministry in Berea and then to Athens. And it may have been something like a year or more later when Paul wrote this. And he, still having a burden for Macedonia, having a burden for the place that God called him to that night in Troas in the dream, wrote to the church of Thessalonica and says, I thank God for you 
because from you sound it out across this region so that I don't really need to say anything. It's like a missionary's dream, right? It's like anything you could ever ask for in a local church. Chapter 4, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. It says, as, when it, as it relates to loving each other, you know, there was times when Paul had to rebuke churches about that. And here with Thessalonica, he says, concerning brotherly love, you're doing great. Okay, so throughout all of Macedonia, um, all I can say is, verse uh, 10 of what we just read, all I can say is that you increase more and more with what you're doing. So God was really working in an incredibly special way in the church of Thessalonica. Now, where we're going to focus most of our, the rest of our, our, our time this morning is in chapter 2. Because in chapter 2, uh, Paul gives us basically an explanation of how he entered Thessalonica. Not physically how, but what was going on in his heart. What his approach was. And if this were just any missionary today describing here's how I go into a village. It may not be so meaningful, but because it's the Apostle Paul, and because these words are inspired by God, and because we see the outcome of Thessalonica, the words in chapter 2 are incredibly meaningful to us and have lessons that are just um, extremely profound. From this, all of Macedonia heard. So let's look at this together and, and see if we can walk away with these lessons that Paul speaks about. So, 1 Thessalonians 2, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll park here in this chapter, at least for some time. 1 Thessalonians 2. Again, this was sometime after Paul was in Thessalonica, maybe over a year, okay? So he was writing back to them. And he wanted to come, but he could not. Uh, there, was, there was some extenuating circumstances that was, were preventing him from coming back to Thessalonica. It's interesting to note that if he could have, he would. Uh, have, right? But um, because he couldn't, he was writing to them, and these are the most important things uh, in these two epistles that, that he wants to write to them. So chapter one was essentially Paul thanking them, encouraging them, them and commending them, right? Chapter two is now this explanation of, here's what I did when I came to you. You know, he was sort of their spiritual father, very much their spiritual father as he led them to the Lord. And he, and he writes to them and says, here's how I came to you. Okay. Chapter 2, verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. So look at something with me here in this chapter. Verses 1 and 2 start with the word for and but. They're connected, very much connected. Verse 3 and 4 start with the words for and but. And then verses 5 and 7 start with the word for and but. 
three different thoughts, three different things that are really connected where, where um, Paul essentially first explains uh, four, here is the problem, here is the situation we're in, but here's how we responded. So three times he does this, four, here's the situation we're in, but here's a lesson we need to learn. So first let's look at verse one and two as it relates to that. He talks about a bold message that matters. So verse 1, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. The first thing he says is, you remember when I came, my entrance was bold. And it, it mattered. It was not in vain. Now you may think, obviously. Right? But realize what he just came from. He just came from Philippi. He'd just been beaten. Like, I don't know how he could not have been in pain speaking to this Thessalonican people. And he said, look, when I came, what I had to say, it really mattered. It was not pointless. And by the way, he was chased out of Thessalonica too. So it's good for us to realize that our own personal experiences should never let us draw conclusions that are contrary to the word of God. Our entrance unto you, it was not in vain, it really mattered. And he said, but... It's not that it was in vain, but verse number two, but even after that, we had suffered before Philippi. Remember? After that five-day trip from Philippi. Even after that, we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated. They were really shamed because they were, they were Romans and they had been treated really badly. They talk about that in Acts 16 as well. And you know, saying you know, Thessalonians, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. They had so much conviction about what they were sharing. It would be difficult to be beat like that. It'd be difficult to go to the next village. It just would. You, you, you know, they probably, they probably they, must have, they may have sat down, this is just me thinking, so you can do whatever you want with it. <laughs> they may have sat down and said, should we change the way we approach this? You know, is there, I wonder if there's an approach that like would skip the whippings. You know, if so, let's try that. You know, <laughs> but they had so much conviction. We read in chapter one, verse five: "For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, and much conviction, as ye know what manner of man, what manner of men we were among you." for your sake. You've seen that. So his first lesson to these Thessalonians about his entrance in unto them, no doubt he's teaching them this because they have a work to do. A church that multiplies, that is reaching Macedonia, they have a work to do and go into other, village, other, other, other cities across, uh, across Macedonia. He says, our entrance unto you was not in vain. If any of you Paul writing to the Thessalonians, if any of you are questioning how worthwhile it is to open your mouth about the gospel as to whether it matters, it does. It does matter. So then verse 3, look at this. First, the charge in verse 1 and 2 is, is, is a bold message that matters. Verse 3, he explains that his message was a pure, a pure message. Verse 3, for our exhortation was not of deceit, or of uncleanness, nor, nor in guile. Okay, so once again, he starts out with the, um, 
with sort of the negative comparison as to what he was going to teach them. Paul had been accused of things. They, there had been rumors across Greece, across the country, of what was um, being said about Paul, false rumors. And to at least some extent, he was clearing these things up. And he says, look, three things that are not true, okay, verse 3, for our exhortation, what we spoke to you, what we proclaimed was not of deceit. It was not erroneous. It was just, it was true. Everything I said was true. Nor of it, now, let me say, let me stop there and say something about that. Again, that may seem obvious. Of course it was true. Why would you say something other than what is true? However, false teachers had come to Thessalonica. It wasn't unusual. In our day today, um, even in our region of Uganda where we've been, false teachers are everywhere. There's Jehovah's Witness missionaries in that part of the world. There are very devoted, long-term Italian Catholics in that part of the world. There are Muslims coming from Saudi Arabia actively advancing what they believe. False teachers. They are teaching things that are error. Just not true. Um, Paul says, look, first of all, what I brought to you, uh, it was not in deceit. It was true. There was nothing in error about it. So um, one friend of mine called Agobi is the imam of our local village. He's the preacher in the mosque, and we've done Bible studies together. He's someone who I believe is teaching an error. He's not, in, maybe in, he's not intentionally deceiving people. He's not going in the mosque every day saying, oh, I'm gonna, you know, trick these people. You know, he's, he's rather an error. He's just wrong about what he's teaching. Um, so it's important what Paul's saying. What I, what I brought to you, it is true. There's nothing erroneous about it. Okay, so our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness. So what is he talking about exactly with this? Well, almost every time we see this word uncleanness in the Bible, it's in the context of some sort of moral, moral uncleanness. So Galatians 5.19, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. I think we get the idea. Paul's saying, my ministry was none of that. Again, it may be an obvious statement, but not in our world and not in their world. I have a neighbor who lives uh, pretty close to me. I can see his house from my house. And I got to know him. He's called Angoyo. It's a local name, obviously. He, he, uh, I got to know him, sat with him, and, and I said, so what do you do? You know? He said, oh, I'm a, I'm a priest. Uh, and I said, so what kind of church? And he said, Catholic in such and so place, many kilometers away. And that was after, I found that out after I realized he had a wife. So I was like, oh, but you're married. And he says, yeah, I'm in hiding here. I hide here with my, with my wife, and then I go there on my motorcycle, and I'm the priest there, because I'm not allowed to have a wife there. I was like, wow, okay. That's uncleanness, that's deceit, right? Intentionally deceiving people. So there's no ambiguity there. We see what's going on. So Paul said, look, there's nothing morally impure about this. I'm coming to you speaking the truth. There's no error. I'm coming to you without any uncleanness, okay? Um, these are important things and, and lessons for the church at Thessalonica, for our church today. Very important, right? It was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor of guile, okay? 
Um, and Ango Yo, that friend of mine, certainly represents that guile, intentional deceit. Um, someone who can literally stand up and, and deceive people intentionally. I have another friend called David. Um, yes, David. He uh, is someone, we'll talk about this afternoon, so I won't try not to say too much about him, but he um, was helping me with language one day. He had a baby boy that was not with him at the moment. I wondered where his baby boy was, so I said, hey, where's Sammy? His name is Sammy. His baby boy's name is Sammy. He said, oh, um, my wife took him to the Catholic Church to get baptized. I said, okay, they're going to sprinkle him. Uh, I said, so um, tell me about it. Why? Why do you do that? And he said, well, you know, it's what the priest tells us to do. And he said, but listen, I'm, I'm really concerned because I can't afford the baptism certificate. So I was like, okay, explain more. What's, what's this about? And he said, yeah, the baptism certificate, 30,000 shillings. And he said, I'm, I'm, I do not have the money, so I'm really concerned. Pray for me. So he told me, pray for me about that. <clears throat> so I said, so why are you concerned? Like, that's a lot of money. And David is someone, he's like my age, responsible for his whole home because his father died. Very poor, very poor people. 30,000 shillings is like $8. That's a lot of money for them. So I said, so why? Why are you concerned? He said, well, what if something happens to Sammy? You know, what if he dies? I thought, man, that priest, that's terrible. That's bondage. It's deceit, you know? So Paul came and said, look, I am, this, there is nothing, uh, uh, there is no error in this. There is no uncleanness in this. There is no guile in this. I am not deceiving you. But rather, verse 4, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God, which tries our hearts. He said, not all those things, but we are stewards of the gospel. We've been put in trust with the gospel of God. That's why we're here. Our message is very pure. It's a pure message. Now, it's really interesting verbiage that, you, that we see there in verse 4, but as we are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. We're together with Paul on this. We've been allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. From a very young age, we have the gospel in our hands. We hold it, and we have to decide what we do with it. We steward everything in our lives, right? Any type of, um, any type of financial anything that God gives us, whether great or small, we're responsible to steward, right? And, and uh, answer to God for someday. Our families, any children God gives us. If God gives us a wife, we steward our wife. Anything God gives us in life, we steward. What's the most valuable thing God's given us? Jesus Christ the gospel. And Paul's saying, look, I've been put in trust with the gospel. 1 Corinthians 4.1 says, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We answer for what we've been given. So we should be stewards of the gospel. So why was Paul in Thessalonica? Because he had been entrusted, he'd been allowed of God, rather. Verse 4, we'd been, he'd been allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Even so, we speak. Because of that, you've heard me speaking. Not as pleasing men, not because I'm trying to please you, but, but, but God, which tries our hearts. It's God that entrusted me with his gospel. It's him I'm serving. He wasn't looking for some response from men to feel good about his task of stewarding the gospel. 
So verse 1 and 2 we read, we found that his message was bold and it matters. It was not in vain. And in verse 3 and 4, we find that his message was pure. A pure stewardship of the gospel without any error or uncleanness or guile. And then now let's look at verse 5. Here together. Verse 5. Let me just read this verse. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. So here in this verse, we're given like the negative end of this um, comparison once again. He, he, he names two things here um, that were not true about his ministry. He says, we did not seek glory, neither of you nor yet of others. We've already talked about that uh, for a moment. Um, he was not concerned with what people thought. Um, nor yet of others, but we, I'm sorry, when we might have been burdensome, I am skipping around like crazy, sorry about that. Verse 5, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. So cloak of covetousness, what is he talking about here? He's talking about a pretext of, of greed of some kind. Um, he said, I did not come with some desire to get something from you. Uh, that's something we see today, right? Big time with TV ministries and who knows what else. Something super common in Uganda. Um, maybe was even true of that priest, right, that um, was going to collect 30,000 shillings from this dirt poor guy in order to get a baptism certificate. Um, a pretext of greed. Working some religious position in order to gain something from it. Um, it's a true wolf, right? Paul said, look, there's no cloak of covetousness here. God is witness. He says, God's my judge. That's not true of me. Verse 6, Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the, as the apostles of Christ. It's interesting what he's saying here. He's saying, look, like, essentially, I could have. I could have done that. Right? I'm an apostle. Um, I could have taken advantage of being an apostle and been a burden to you. But he said, I, I would not do that. There was no cloak of covetousness, no greed involved in my entrance unto you. But, so here's the, here's the but that, that teaches us something really powerful, really powerful from this. But rather, instead of that, instead of what I just said, verse 7, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. I tried to think of a title for this that would, would, would capture it, and I don't know that this one really does very well, but he had an entrance that was both bold and gentle. Two things that may, someone may you know, feel is uh, contradictory, but it was not, according to what we're seeing here. He was very bold as he had scars on his back beneath his shirt, right? He was bold in going into them, but he was gentle and loved them. Godly concern for people underscores the legitimacy of Paul's missionary methods like nothing, like nothing else. Um, you know, there's a lot of missionary methods to be, to be found, ways of going about doing uh, gospel advance, right? Books you can read, and, and, and we've read those trying to learn, right? 
If there's any primary thing we learn from Paul's missionary methods, it's, it's this. We were gentle among you. We loved you. And there in verse 7, we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherisheth her children. You know, this nurse, it's helpful, helpful for us to know, this was written from like a British type of nurse that really referred to more to a mother, a nursing mother. Uh, a nursing mother would be called, called a nurse. So uh, for us Americans, anything could come to mind and it relates to experiences with nurses, right? If we have any nurses here, nurses are great. But if you're in a hospital, your nurse experience may not be great, right? Uh, the point is here, extremely gentle. What's more gentle and caring than a newborn baby with his or her mother as, as, as she cares for, for him? That's the picture we have. That's the picture we're given. A, a nursing mother caring, caring for her children. That's how they treated um, the Thessalonians. That's how Paul and Silas viewed their target people here. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll say this briefly. I wasn't planning to say this, but as we come back, as we came back into the U.S., I won't take too much time. As we came back into the U.S., uh, there's a, a couple of culture shock things, right? So two years being out was enough time to feel long-term, and and uh, Americans will exclude this group of people from this statement, okay? <laughs> but the American population, uh, whatever, must be one of the rudest cultures on the planet. Extremely rude. Uganda is actually known as one of the most friendly. People are just super friendly, just readily talk with anyone on the street, which is, uh, which certainly helps for uh, stimulating evangelism, right? Americans are rude. Wow. Uh, we, as God's people, need to make a conscious choice to say our culture has a problem with that, and we cannot be like that. But in public, as people are rude to us, we cannot be like that. Um, but instead, be like the very thing we're taught here. Gentle. Like caring for people. Like a nursing mother cares for her children. That's what Paul did. He showed up in this, in this um, Gentile town that he had never, well, yeah, that he was not from, strangers to him, and treated people like that. That's certainly a work of the Holy Spirit in his life. So, verse 8, being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Again, this is New Testament Apostle Paul missionary methods right here. We did not just give you the gospel. We imparted unto you our souls. I think we know what that looks like when you pour into someone from your soul, and it may be taxing in some ways as you pour into people and invest into people by way of ministry. Paul said, we did that because you were dear unto us. Now let me read these last three, three verses and then we'll be finished. Um, he says, verse 9, 10, 11, for you remember, and then in verse 10, you are witnesses. And then verse 11, uh, as you know, he says, you remember, it wasn't that long ago, this is familiar to you. Verse 9, let's go ahead and read it. Verse 9, for you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable to any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Verse 10, you're witnesses. And God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. And the verse 11, as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. It says, we imparted our souls to you. 
we cared for you like a, like a nurse. We'd care for her children. And you remember, we were not chargeable to any of you, uh, but we cared for you. I, and he says, as a father as well, as a father cares for his children. This was the entrance to Thessalonica that caused the gospel to be spread abroad, to be sounded out, the word of the Lord to be sounded out, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place their faith was heard. So what do we walk away with uh, in regard to this message? First of all, um, the message from these chapters is this. Do we see the power of the gospel? The gospel is powerful. We talked about Jesus this morning. We talked about the joy that it is to know him, to be able to live by means of his life. We see the power it had in this city of Thessalonica and the ripple effect and reproducing ability of Christians across this region. We in love with the gospel today. And we sing the song of um, telling the old, old story of Jesus and his love and, and telling it over and over and over. Um, I think I've been guilty of singing that without really meaning it at times. Do we love this story of Jesus Christ and, and what he's done? And each one of us, in our personal ministries, wherever God has us, certainly applies to every one of us. Can we look at this entrance into Thessalonica and say that we are striving to live this out? To be bold, regardless of what our negative experiences have been in the past with, you know, advancing the gospel, with, with sharing our faith. Is our, message, is our message pure? It is, if it's coming from the Word of God, our message is pure and, and certainly right. Are we stewarding the gospel well? We've been entrusted with it. We're just like Paul in that way. We're stewards of the gospel. And finally, um, as we saw in verses 5 through 8, is our message um, heartfelt, presented really genuinely because of love for the people in our life. So I trust that's a challenge to you, certainly is to me, and convicting as we uh, see this important message applying to us today um, and certainly applying around the world. So I'll close in prayer and turn it over to, to Pastor Stephen here this morning. Father, thank you. Lord, your words are powerful for us here today. I pray that you'd help us. Lord, there's so many lessons um, that we have to learn from. Lord, I pray for us that we would um, really apply our hearts to this. Lord, that you would help us to to grow. Lord, we are each um, on a pilgrimage of growing more and more like you. Pray you'd help us to live these things out so that people would see us. Lord, it was said of this church, this church at Thessalonica, that, that uh, the news had been spread abroad all over their region. Lord, I pray that it be said of us. That's something only you can do in us. People would see you in us. Pray you do that work in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.